0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck. Well, it occurs to me this morning that as the Lord spoke to Moses uh, out of the bush that was on fire and yet not being consumed... Uh, I believe that God speaks to us this morning the same thing. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I imagine the Reverend Guthrie had that sense almost 70 years ago on the day when this sanctuary was dedicated. And I also imagine that Reverend Dunn had this sense 140 years ago when he gathered with eight people to organize this congregation. And the reason that this ground is holy has not changed from 1881 to 1953 to 2021. The people of God have gathered as the living body of Christ. And because this is who we are, and this is what we do. That same voice that calls us to worship this morning is the same voice that spoke to Moses, saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So in the name of our great God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and on behalf of all the saints who have borne the name of Jesus in this congregation for the past 140 years, welcome. What I'd like to do this morning is kind of weave together the theme of all saints, the theme of celebrating a church anniversary after 140 years of ministry, and also What might be our present call in this time? So, kind of generally, why the saints? Why the Methodists? And why us? So, that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. And Why the saints? Well, the saints are the great cloud of witnesses. We stand in that great cloud and we look around us and we see Abraham and we see Jacob and we see uh, the men and women who founded this congregation. We see people in Africa. We see people in Asia. We see people all over the world who have carried the torch of the living Christ all these years. And some of them are still living in this mortal body, and some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. And so we call these two groups, the Puritans would talk about the church militant, which is us, we're still here in the mortal body, and the church triumphant, which would be those who have gone on to be with the Lord. And so the, that is what we look forward to. And I, I think that, that Coach Ritchie was right on the money when he mentioned pride this morning. And if I can quote the AVET brothers, uh, I want to have pride like my mama had And not like the kind in the Bible that makes you bad. So there's there's a distinction. Uh, But uh, we're proud as we look at those that have gone before us because we see their challenges. We see their triumphs. We see everything that they endured and the cultural challenges that they faced. And how hard it was to get their kids to church on Sunday morning just like it is for us to get our kids on Sunday morning. And we see all of that and it makes us proud. It gives us a sense that we too can overcome everything that we face and the challenges that we have before us in the text that Uh, bob read for us paul talks about his ancestors and he's not talking about his biological ancestors we know that he's talking about abraham he's talking about uh the apostles he's talking about the people that lived before him that carried this banner carried this torch and paul says so as i'm standing here in the presence of my ancestors and i'm speaking to you today timothy and to the church and so he says i'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother lois And your mother Eunice now, and I am sure this faith dwells in you as well. Anytime you see a magnificent faith, you can always trace it back to a grandmother, amen? You can always trace it back to somebody that was praying for that person. You can always trace it back to a congregation that gathered when a child was baptized and said, we will support them, we will raise them up, and we will pray that they would become a disciple who would walk in the way that leads to life, that would find that narrow way and find life there. That's, that's why these things happen. And so uh, we, we celebrate the heritage and all of the grandmothers and grandfathers and great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers that have helped us stand where we stand today so discovering what they endured and what they fought for what they learned gives us pride it gives us confidence Uh, it helps us carry the baton that we carry now in such a way that we trust and we hope and we pray that we will join them in the life that is to come in fact we have that assurance and when I think about things like this where we have a lot of tradition at play it's always a good reminder you know uh, the, the great Church historian Yaroslav Pelikan said that the difference in tradition and traditionalism is, is a huge gap. So tradition is a wonderful thing. and he says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism is the dead faith of the living those are two very different things so we celebrate the tradition the living faith of the dead today and we carry on that faith as we meet together and as we walk forward in the life uh, that we have been called to so so that's why saints Uh, why methodists And again, we celebrate the heritage of all the churches in this area. You know, you can't study the history of the Methodist Church in Sweetwater without seeing the simultaneous history of the Baptist Church and how we work together to reach people for Christ. And in some cases, uh, to reach people in one stage of life and then pass them on to another church to help them grow in the next stage. And that's happened both ways. And so we celebrate that. Uh, But the Methodist movement can be traced back to Oxford, England. In the 1720s, it was there that John and Charles Wesley began meeting with a small group of friends in order to more fully understand and practice their faith. And so as they participated in the means of grace, they also visited local prisoners, and they helped start a school for children of the poor. The methodical nature of these young men and their holy club earned them the name, and it was a pejorative name, it, they were made fun of, they called them the Methodists. <laughs> so that's, that's where our name comes from. Uh, but the Wesleys observed in the Church of England, which was their own church, they, what they called the form of religion without the power, the form of religion without the power, which motivated them to consider that lukewarm Christianity was the great sin of their time. And so in response, these young Anglican priests sought to lead the church back to the basics and rediscover full salvation and the life-transforming grace that was experienced in Jesus Christ. And so after widespread revival and societal change in Europe, the Methodist movement began to take root in America in the 1760s. But in 1776, less than one out of 800 people was a Methodist. No one referred to Methodist places of worship as churches, but rather they were meeting houses or preaching stations or chapels. However, by 1812, one out of every 36 U.S. citizens was a Methodist, and by 1850, the Methodist church claimed one-third of America's entire church membership. And so it was that rapid growth and the circuit riders and the pioneer spirit that uh, led to the events that in the fall of 1881, the good news of the gospel as sung and preached and lived in Methodist churches reached Sweetwater, Texas. And so these were very meager beginnings uh, with a circuit rider and eight people. It came over. This guy came over from Abilene. There were four people from the city and four people from the country, and they organized the church after some preaching meetings and working together. And uh, they met upstairs in the saloon, uh, and then later there was a tent over here in the First Financial Bank parking lot, and uh, eventually came over here and built uh, a structure in 1882 over here on the corner, and then tore it down to build the 1912 building. And so very meager beginnings, but you can see that frontier spirit, this idea that, you know, we want our children to go up and have a place where they can come and worship, where they can come and learn that Jesus loves them, just like we want them to have a school where they can learn algebra and where they can get along in the world. And so that growth continued, and the importance of the Methodist witness in the community, I'd say in many ways, it seems like kind of peaked in the post-war days of the 1950s. And so I was trying to get a handle this week on, you know, what was it like to pastor in the 1950s in Methodist churches in the big country in West Texas, and so I called Bishop Dan Solomon, uh, who was uh, from Motley County, Texas, and uh, then later Tulia, and he was just really a wonderful guy, lived a great life, and pastored in this area, went on to be a bishop in Louisiana, and then Oklahoma, and he's been a resident bishop at McMurray University for all these years, and uh, he he was kind enough to give me a phone conversation and said he'd like to come over, but not able to travel right now and it was a wonderful conversation and I said bishop what made the Methodist witness I mean what made our churches like what made it so great back then I mean why what was all the fuss about why were people coming together and joining the church and what was really going on and he said Ryan there's two things he said the first thing is that there was a widespread across the social spectrum he said the ground was fertile the soil was very fertile and it was ready for the seeds of the gospel he said all of society was willing to consider embracing some kind of a faith journey and he said that was across denominations and structure and people were hungry they were eager to join up and 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 get started with things so he said that there was just a wonderful time he said that involved crossed over the civic and the schools and everywhere he said it was just a fertile time and he said the second thing was we were great at evangelism. And it wasn't just us, the Baptist were great at it too. He said well, it was an emphasis on evangelism among the clergy and among the laity. And he said there would always be a group that would meet. And sometimes they would meet every week. And they would just talk about the ways that they could invite more people to church. The ways that they could find out who had moved to town so they could go invite them to church. Because they believed that, that church and living out the gospel in this humble, simple, everyday way that we call church... He thought, thought that that could bring life change. And they thought that was a critical ingredient for our society. So they, they were eager to do that. And he said, we, we had this great emphasis on evangelism. And we, were just, we loved talking about it. We loved going out. And we just understood that we had a Pentecostal faith. That if we had become Christians and, and this was good and we loved it, that we wanted to share it with somebody. And so that, those are the two things I thought, that's a wonderful way to talk about that. And then he kind of paused and gave a deep sigh and he said... And kind of as a side note, he said, almost everything that I've mentioned, I'm sad to say, would not be true today. He said, uh, we, we don't really know our neighbors in the same way, and we're not really zealous uh, to evangelize anymore. And so we kind of let that sit there a minute and, but then we just sort of wound up and begin to talk about what it might look like for us to do that again today, for, for that to happen again in new ways. Of course, it's going to be different. I laughed at, you know, all the changes that have happened uh, throughout the, the decades and our challenges are very different and yet at the core, they're very similar. And so this news that and you're gonna hear it in the pew studies and the Gallup polls that less than fifty percent of Americans are involved as members in a church or a synagogue or a mosque, it's just not it's not culturally a majority anymore. And so you look at that and you just say, Oh gosh, the world's you know going to hell in a handbasket or whatever. And, but really, when we, we see those things, and it, if it does anything, it just I think it motivates us. And it reminds us, as the text says, that we did not receive a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. And so we've been equipped to handle these challenges, just like Timothy was being equipped to handle the challenges in his own day. And really, at the end of the day, Uh, One of the main challenges is just right here in my own heart and my willingness to consider uh, that I might need to be renewed and remember that I have been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so we don't shrink back as God's people. We stand up and we move forward. And so that brings us to the why us, why you and why me. Uh, Whether you're here in this congregation or you've come to visit and you're going back somewhere else. Um this second Timothy text I think really sets us up to take a step in this direction. Paul says to Timothy For this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. This word, this Greek word rekindle, it, it means to start something again, to set, you know, to start it back up. And, uh, and when I think about this idea of rekindling a gift that is inside of us, you know, in so many cases it's already there. It may already be things that we're already doing, but perhaps The reason that we do those things or how we do those things uh, might need a little life breathed into it. And think about what it's like to rekindle a fire. You know, we all love to go camping and sit around and watch kids, you know, play with fire and build the fire and get it going, and then it goes down. And what's the first thing you have to do if you want to start it back up in the morning? You know, you might have a few coals still down in there, but you have to gather the kindling, right? You have to gather a little kindling and get it ready and get your leaves right or or your paper or your fire starters, and you kind of have to get all that ready first And then you just wait and you get a little air breathing through the fire again. And then before you know it, it's consumed again with the fire and it's it's burning away. And so our work is this rekindling work today. I believe that's what Christ would call us to, uh, to begin gathering some leaves and gathering some kindling and try to figure out what it is that we can bring back to the center of our lives and invite the fire of the Holy Spirit to breathe on us again. Think what it means to rekindle. Also, we get a little clue at the end of the paragraph when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. And he said, This is by the Holy Spirit that we can guard the good deposit, the faith. That is inside of us and so again we guard this faith that has been entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit and we're not guarding it from the world you know we're not we're not like trying to keep it here and put a a bushel over the fire but we're guarding it from taking an auxiliary role in our lives I'm guarding the faith from becoming secondary and I'm guarding it as something primary in my heart. This should be the most primary thing in all of our lives is our, our uh, attention to uh, God as this fire burns inside of us. So when we talk about our faith, uh, and our faith is central, I think that's what it means to guard the faith is to keep it in this prominent place uh, for Christ to be enthroned on our hearts in this way uh, that changes everything else about our lives. Uh, when I think, of, I think of this idea of power, and the love in a congregation and self-control. Uh, you know, the, there's power among us to, to change. There's power for our lives to change, for us to be free of addictions, for us to begin new habits, for us to reach people, to make friends with people and and help other people take next steps. There's power uh, for formation, for us to have the mind of Christ. And, you know, love is such a broad topic, but I, I love the story that we heard last night uh, that someone shared about their experience growing up in the church and they said you know when I was growing up in this church there was a man uh, who was here who had a mental and a physical disability and they said he would sing louder than everyone else and some of you are going to remember this person but he but he couldn't read the words and so he was always singing an echo so it could be very distracting but this man's comment was he said you know that guy sang the loudest and he said I watched how this church loved him and that's how I learned about the love of Jesus. And I thought, that that's something we should be proud of. That's the kind of thing that the church does. You know, and I've seen you all do it a hundred times. Uh, if I've seen you do it once, where there's a difficult situation, and you rally and you bring the love of Jesus into that, and it changes the situation. And so that's, that's what we can trust. And, and we do have self-control. We have the gift of self-control. Uh, we can fan that into flame. We don't always have to be at the mercy of the cultures current we don't we're not just bound to just what's happening around us we can actually alter those things we can change the culture we can make a difference in our schools we can make a difference in our businesses and in our community Uh, we can do that through the practices of our faith so as we guard faith as the supreme thing in our lives i confess that this has not always been the case for me and i'm convinced that our faithful way forward involves guarding this faith and rekindling this gift I don't know exactly what that looks like for you today, but these calls are to realities that are already present in our lives. And so I invite you this morning to consider how Jesus might be calling you, how he might be calling me to rekindle the gift of faith that's inside of us today. How might God be calling us to rekindle our faith as we take our next steps in this life? And, you know, it's always helpful to think small, right? What's what's one little thing that might change, one habit that might change, one practice that might change that might open the door for the rekindling of this faith? Maybe... You'd like to get together with one other person and pray for something in particular. Maybe pray uh, that people would know Christ, that we would be better evangelists in this community. Maybe just meet for a month and pray once a week or something like that. Maybe you you need to get together with three or four other Christians uh, to pray, to grow, to read the scriptures together, to take a lunch break one day a week and and work together to grow in your faith. Maybe uh, you need to invite your neighbor uh, to come over for dinner. And talk about their faith story and see if they might not find a home here in this church or in another church in town. Maybe God might be leading you to uh, teach a youth Sunday school class or an adult Sunday school class or a Sunday school class at the truck stop. Maybe God is calling us to gather our families once a week and pray the Lord's Prayer. And as a grandparent or a parent to take the role of paying attention to their souls like we pay attention to everything else that we see in their lives to give them that attention and invite that flame to burn in their lives. For me, one thing that I've been really feeling like the Lord was calling me to do and and asking me to do uh, for the last several months and and I just never did it. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And it took a personal crisis to just push me over the edge. And uh, that nudge was to go get another guy here in Sweetwater and, uh, and to meet together for prayer once a week, uh, just for our families and for the ministries that were going on. And I just didn't do it and I didn't do it. And then that crisis came and it just pushed me over the edge. And so at that point I was desperate and I said, Hey, can we meet? And, uh, he said, yes. And we've been meeting and it's just been so life giving. And so, you know, I don't know what that might be for you, but But uh, the band's going to come forward, and they're going to lead us in a song. Uh, And as they come, I'd just like us to consider, how is God calling us to rekindle our faith today? And as a symbol of that, to kind of help us ask our question. Um, Ken Becker made for all of us a, a little piece of kindling. And so before you leave today, when you come forward for communion, there are baskets at the end of the altar rails, and I want you to grab a piece of kindling. And put it in your pocket, take it with you, and when you see this, uh, when you have it on your nightstand or you put it there in the bathroom and you see it, I want you to remember uh, that the Holy Spirit is powerful. And that when we invite this rekindling, uh, that God is faithful to do this. And so when I see this, uh, I'm going to remember to pray uh, for myself and to pray for you that our faith might be rekindled, uh, that this thing would move forward, uh, and that we would reach people in Sweetwater the way that we need to reach people in 2021. Not 1953, not 1972, not 1890. Those were wonderful. But we live today, and God is calling us to be the church today, and I know that we are up to the task. So let's pray together. God, thank you for your gift of salvation uh, in Jesus Christ. Thank you that uh, you have called us to carry this torch, that you have changed our lives, and you have called us to continue to be a part of the life change of others through the church. We thank you for the everyday ministries of this congregation. We just pray that you would breathe life into us and into these ministries. We pray that you would rekindle our faith. And I pray that if there are people here today that, that haven't begun the faith journey, they say, well, gosh, I don't know what I would rekindle. I've never felt or known a fire like that. I pray that you would call them uh, to come and to give their life to Christ and maybe in a, in a group with a friend or a neighbor or to come in a worship service. But we pray, Lord, uh, that you would continue to do your work. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we're grateful for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.